Political with John D. Clare was the best politics radio show in the Northeast. Right-wing trolls tried to bully the show out of existence. Socialist Think Tank is here to bring the show back to where it belongs. Enjoy Political Unmuted. Welcome to Just a Minute. No, it isn't just a minute. It's Political Unmuted, and I'm here today uh, with the team. The team is here. God bless them all. Um, hi, Paul. Hello. Stuart. Hi, Samantha. Hello. Oh, hello, 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 and sort of um, these, this is going to be a, a, such a disappointment because we were so excited about this early because we thought we cracked the, 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 the problems, but uh, we're going to start with... It's definitely better when you do it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> The moment of the week. Uh, anyway, so, so to welcome everybody to um, Political Unmuted. We've got a great show for you today, and it is, as always, the moment of the week. And I think I'm going to go first to Samantha, um, and, and sort of because I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that, that I know what your moment of the week is going to be. But anyway, what's your moment of the week, Samantha? Oh, I'm pretty certain you don't know what my moment is. <laughs> it, it could be the chicken that I just found in my allotment. Well, but that's it wasn't... what I was hoping. Well, I mean, I can quickly mention that I got a new chicken about half an hour ago. And no, I didn't steal it from Darlington before anybody uh, accuses me of stealing it from Darlington. Um, yes, I think, it's just, I think she's just hopped over the fence from next door. Uh, she's gone through a mold, so she's got some new feathers and she can jump higher than she maybe thought she could. I was going to tell you that um, I've reached new heights and I am now in a colouring book. That's amazing. You didn't expect that, uh, did you? No. Is someone calling uh, you? Or, no, so, or is it something you've drawn? So what it is, is um, it's a colouring book for a podcast that I listen to. Hang on, Samantha, just pause two seconds, two pause two seconds, because everybody watching, what they need to know is that all week, for the last fortnight, you've been posting your amazing pictures um, that you've done. Oh, Facebook. Yes. Some of them are fantastic. And Thank you very much. Yesterday you came and you said, oh, this is my failure this week. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> so I've got Stand three moments of the week. Yeah. Um, I've also, uh, in everybody's doing something uh, a bit out of the box with lockdown, aren't they? So I've, start, I've taken on an art class. And the idea is that I'm doing 30 pictures, 30 portraits, um, in the month of July, uh, which is interesting because last time I drew was like 10 years ago and I wasn't really very good at it then. So <laughs> I'm really saying, at it now. I, I think there's something about getting older and you see things differently and I'm, I'm much better at gauging proportions and, and things. So I'm, I'm having a blast. Uh, but no, this is this, the colouring book is um, 
it's just a podcast that I give some money to every month through Patreon. Um, so they sent they sent me the PDF of the colouring book for free and I'm on the acknowledgements at the beginning. So that's really cool. And that was going to be my moment of the week, but apparently I've got lots of stuff to talk You've about. So tell me about the colouring book. So what group is it that you're a member of and what do they do? So the, the podcast is called We Fix Space Junk, which is a very sort of um, Douglas Adams-esque comedy, sci-fi, British thing. Um, and I love it. It's brilliant. It's, it's got female lead characters and um, yeah, they, they fly around the universe and fix space junk. They're in indentured service to this corporation and that's the dystopian uh, that's the dystopian vision of the future where everybody just accrues debt through their life um so through their education and that a company will provide you with education and then they you accrue debt with them and then you've got to work it off that kind of thing <laughs> so it's a lot funnier than it sounds well it's funny you should say this because there was um, something on facebook today where somebody had come on and said um uh, can after covid can we move to a kind of life where you don't work eight hours a day mm. five days a week for 50 years to yeah. end up no better off than you started um, sort of, and to understand that there's more to life than just doing a dead end job at eight pounds seventy two a week an hour for the whole of your life. And people were coming out and saying, "This is what's wrong with our society: lazy people who don't want to do it mm. anymore." Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, um, sort of, um, maybe that's what's going to end up with. Um, yes, there's politics in there. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Well, brilliant article. Fantastic news about the, the hen. You have to sort of. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that really. Stuart, can you top that moment of the week? No, definitely not. Uh, Let's see. I, I did the most dangerous political thing you could possibly do and went litter picking this week. Toxic. 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 Okay, you can't please anybody with litter picking. No. All litter matters. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot to say about that other than, you know, that's the first time I think in about three months that I've been litter picking. Well, um, and we, we, we sort of, what happened um, was <laughs> expanding what Stuart said to me. We, Stuart and I met, he, 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 he comes to help out with litter picking in my ward, which I must repay by going in to help, help Stuart in his, his, his ward. And um, we, we, we found this filthy place by the shopping centre, didn't we? Just absolutely thick with litter. And we cleared about 20 yards of it. It took us all afternoon and, and sort of, and it was still only half done, so we swore we'd come back, and then coronavirus swept in. So we said, right, we'll get back. And we met, and of course, <laughs> in the intervening months, the grass had grown up that you couldn't no see chance. the thing. Right? Goodness knows how much litter there was there. So we, we, we went our different ways, um, socially distancing about as far apart as it went to be. And Stuart went down to the local housing estate and found a couple of bags of litter down there. Thank you, God bless. And I went down sort of doing the, um, the thing. Thank you so much, really. I owe you one. Uh, no problem. And Paul, moment of the week. Um, it's it's not a personal one. Uh, this um, I'm going back for the traditional political ones. Uh, this week, um, my moment of the week is it's all about blame. And there's a lot of things being blamed 
for a lot of things this week. So we've got care homes have, have been blamed on the owners of the care homes by Boris Johnson, despite the fact that the original plan said if they've got COVID, but they can be released from hospital, they should be released in the care homes. That was the guidance. Like That is literally the guidance. So if you followed the guidance, you're going to put people in there. But anyway, this is a bit more of an obscure one. This week, Boris Johnson claimed that the reason that so many building projects, so there's something called land banking, um, where people will, like, so oligarchs will buy some land, maybe in somewhere where land is going up really, really quickly in value. Um, they'll buy a patch of land in London, and then they'll say, well, actually, it's not worth my while building anything on that because that money, that uh, the value of that land is going up more quickly because of the housing shortage my not building these houses creates. It's called land banking. It's a very easy way to, uh, there was a land value tax that could easily sort out this problem. But sadly, um, that was the garden tax that everyone so derided. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, this week, the reason for building, it's not that. That's not the reason building projects are, have been paused. It's newts. Boris Johnson this week blamed newts for, for the lack of building in the country. So the reason they haven't hit their targets for years and years and years is because of newts. So, um, and, and the background behind that is um, there are some, I think, great crested newts uh, are an endangered species and you have to kind of put a little bit of money aside to make sure that you either rehome the newts if you want to build on land or you don't build on them or, or whatever. And uh, people have had a look into it and said, well, this is absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. But yeah, so care homes, they're to blame on the managers um, and building its own newts. There you go. Knew it was yeah. then. Do you know? Do you know how much that land banking um, and and land speculation pushes up property prices? Not as a statistic. Have you got that? Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, there was an episode of Reason to Be Cheerful about it. Uh, it's well worth reading up. But yeah, pushes up property prices thirty percent. Absolutely obscene. Mm. I mean, I've often wondered why they do it. Um, the, the big companies like Persimmon and, 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 uh, and it's dreadful just to mention um, Gleason and people like that, they, they, um, um, they do is they buy the land, they get planning permission on it, and then they don't build. And of course, having got planning permission, that is just a massive increase in, in their asset base. And so it increases the value of their company. And then that's, that's good for all kinds of things. Um, you're right, it absolutely it, 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 um, uh, sort of also pushes up the price of houses. And so then when they build, they can sell them out more. And it's, a, it's a big scandal. There's hundreds of sites in uh, Newtonate in, in, in County Durham, um, which have planning permission and which are just not being built, built on. They just sit there and the only people benefiting are, are the owners uh, of the land. And the news. So, well, I'll tell you about the news. Capitalist news. The um, sort of the... Um, I, I've got I've got to tell you this story, and, and I'm going to get the facts and the details wrong. I just know because I can't remember them. But when he tapped, the thing about newts is that they are endangered in in Europe. But in fact, we've got quite a few of them in in, in, in especially in the northeast. So they find them all over the place, and, and and it's a big problem. And when they came to build the Hitachi site in Newton Acre, they found great crested newts, 
And so what um, they had to do was they had to build a special pond for the great crested newts in their own fields, and then they had to go around catching the great crested newts and putting them in their new home before they could build uh, Hitachi. And the story is, and I'm going to make these figures up, but there's something, it's about the right kind of thing, um, that um, it cost them a quarter of a million pounds to um, build the, buy the field and, and, and put the pond in and create the habitat for the great crested newts. And, and, and then um, the, when they went to catch the great crested newts, they found 25 of them. <laughs> so so the, the story is, is that those great crested newts cost £10,000 each to rehouse. So it's, it's, it, it is an annoyance. Um, but you're right, the, the big problem is, is that this week, um, what Boris has done is, is uh, as, as these people who always count out a big business, that's the problem with the Tory government, they always count out a big business, and the answer is to... Um, the, the, the problem with house building is let's just relax planning laws and we'll let these people have the most beautiful plots of land, the most inappropriate plots of land, and then we'll buy them and not build houses on them. And it's all about the big end user rather than the, the uh, small owner. Thank you very much, Paul, for your, your moment of the week. You just got me off on one. Anyway, here we go. Here's the next thing. Uh, let's see what we can do. Now it's time for the big story. Now, personally, I think it was much better when I used to do it myself. I, I, I think it's a definite step back. Um, Sam, um, who is creeping like a snail unwillingly to school? Um, yeah, um, we've got this really weird sort of uh, propaganda war going on about school at the moment. It's like the biggest political football going, which is a little bit unnerving, you know. I know that me as a parent and a school governor and Paul as a teacher, we don't want kids to go back as part of a political game. We want kids to go back to school when it's safe. Um, and unfortunately, there are lots of lots of hyperbole flying around at the moment trying to indicate that either parents don't want to send their kids to school or that teachers don't want to teach or that teachers are lazy and everybody who the parents and the teachers are all like no we would really love to get back to our lives i'd really love to be able to deliver my children as somebody who spent all day today trying to make a book hotel with three kids i really would like somebody else to do this for me please <laughs> Oh God, it was horrendous. Um, so yes, and there's Sam, always... just interrupting you, mm -hmm. Sam, Sam, Sam. Don't you think that? I mean, I think that book hotels are what we used to make, and, and, <laughs> and, and we used to take the children and walk along uh, the banks of streams, seeing what we could find. No doubt, destroying mm. the environment as well. I mean, but that, was, that was what education used to be. Don't you think that that's better than some of the things that they're doing in the 
Well, I think when we're talking about, uh, when people are talking about a lost generation of children, which I think is, is total rubbish and a ter terrible way to phrase what's going on at the moment, and talking about how desperate it is that we need to get these kids assessed and we need to have their exams, I think that speaks to how broken our education system is. Our education system should be able to just pick up the pieces and move forward. Um, as we said, uh, last week or, or the week before you know there's all this talk about the kids catching up but who are they catching up with um, and are, is what they are learning currently actually going to help them get a job and live a life you know uh, my, my husband did a degree in English language and linguistics and the terminology that primary school age children are supposed to be able to use it wasn't even stuff that was included in his degree, you know, and, and we, we know most adults get, get a buy on sort of like a 13, 14 year old level of education. We know that most, most newspapers and things are written so that you don't have to have a degree to read them. Uh, society is accessible. Um, and we also know that our current education system leaves a huge skills gap, which is a problem in our employment, it causes problems in productivity in our workforce um, so definitely now is the time to reassess what we teach children and whether it's actually of use to them in their life. Paul, um, uh, are the safety plans safe enough do you think? No, um, not, not at all. I could go on and on and on about this and I've, I've actually read the safety guidelines because that's one of my roles, one of my things as a trade union representative is to do that and also as a teacher I want to know and also I want to support my own head teacher by reading through them and honestly there's there's really nothing I can do in that regard I'm going to give you a little anecdote here um, so what you have to do is one of all the responsibility is being put on the school to make sure these things happen and it's absolutely vital that these things happen this is how we're going to keep people safe even though the guidance says actually we know that none of these things are possible basically in there if you read it. it's all prosy and it's all it's it, it's designed to bore you before you get to the detail um the guidance but when you get to the meat of the guidance there are things like when people come into school on any form of transport so whether that's public transport or school transport they must come in wearing a mask when they arrive at school before they enter the building they must wash their hands for 20 seconds because that's how long we wash our hands for now we, we have to wash our hands for 20 seconds at that point, they remove the mask and they place the, they place the mask either into a bag if it's a reusable one or they safely dispose of it. They then have to go back and wash their hands again, again for 20 seconds. So if you assume, so if you assume that middle section takes 20 seconds as well, let's say that's one minute per student coming in. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. In fact, this isn't, there are ones that are like much bigger than this. Let's say there's a thousand students going to a school and you know, your school starts at half eight in the morning and your school at their own expense, because the government have said they're not going to pay for any PPE, at their own expense have bought five of these basins, which have a water tank in them, which is about a couple of liters. Um, and, and they're very expensive and they've had to buy these things and they've got five at the front, all socially distanced. Those five, five <laughs> sinks with those thousand people coming in, it would take from half eight 
till 10 to 12 to get the students hands washed based on the guidance it's ridiculous okay that is never ever ever going to happen in the real world and it's in there in the guidance that it's impossible to, to do so but what is also in the guidance is that it is the head teacher's responsibility to make sure this thing has happened so again this is about blame this is about liability they know that we when we go back in in september they know that they're fully open because i've been back for the last two days and i've been back throughout the entire thing you know um so they know that that guidance is is not going to be appropriate to keep everyone safe the other stupid one that i thought was really good is like oh well we'll line them up children don't really get it but what we'll do is we'll make them all face the same direction because then if they cough or sneeze it's in the back of the head rather than directly in the face so the teacher facing is like the most vulnerable person in the room you're like oh, i'm gonna get coughed at you know and 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 that's basically what the guidance says but if you go down to it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say this isn't our fault if this goes wrong it's the head teacher's fault and i would like the government to just admit it this is an economic decision not an educational decision the vulnerable people they're talking about i teach a lot of vulnerable children and they are not well spoken of usually in papers like the daily mail you know people who've had a difficult time a difficult background who may have committed um petty crimes or may have committed major crimes these these are the people who are they are really really against the vast majority of the time but when as soon as it was economically difficult for them they said oh no they're all vulnerable we care about them we care so much about these kids they don't care about them they, that's not what this was about this was about getting us back to work and if that's what they want to do admit it own it and just say look we can't go on like this forever let's go back to work you know we failed we've 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 failed to defend the country from coronavirus we failed to defend the economy because the economy has gone far worse than any other country because we locked down too late just own that failure and say look we failed we're going back i'm sorry there's nothing else we can do we need to do it i would respect that a lot more and i would and, and i would have to just face that i'm going back there anyway at risk because at least they were being honest that's where we are Stuart, Stuart do, you, do you do you think that paul's got it wrong there i mean do you do you not sense a tremendous will amongst ordinary people uh, that the schools have got to reopen and uh, we've got to find a way to do it and um, they just need to stop belly aching and get on with and teach the children like what they're being paid to do. Do you, do you not sense this in, in no, Not at all. When, when I talk to people, generally they love their children and don't fancy sending them back to die somewhere uh, because of a deadly virus. So they're quite reluctant to send them to school even in September, you know, let alone over the last few months. So, yeah, I can't see how any sensible person would want uh, to, to risk their most precious asset that way. I mean, Gavin Williamson, he's threatening the school students, isn't he? he he's sort of saying that they'll be dealt with if they don't, uh, and, and, the, and, and the councils as well. I mean, yeah. so the, I mean the, 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 the Tories sort of, mess up a whole load of things but they often they very rarely mess up 
the, the messages from the uh, um, the people who elect them. I mean, do you think that this is a message which is aimed at people who are sixty plus, um, and 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 and, and it, it, it's it's aimed at them, the people who will probably vote them back in as well. Possibly. Uh, and is it, is it, or do you think that they, they, they just haven't really understood? I, I think Williamson, as a person, likes to make threats or be a threat to society as you know, a person himself. But, you know, it's this whole macho politician stance that they make because, you know, threatening schools doesn't actually make schools better. It doesn't get people to school faster. It doesn't educate kids better, you know it's only making the situation worse. And I can't see why a sensible person would want to make the situation worse. Unless you're trying to find a scapegoat to hang the blame on. Oh, Sam, uh, um, there's a lot to talk about cutting syllabuses and, and I mean, you were mentioning this before. Um, I mean, how would you deal with the fact that we've got exams coming up and, 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 and children started exam courses all over the place um, and, and, and they're not going to have learned what they needed. I mean, are they um, doing enough? Um, again, I think, you know, we have to take a step back and think about what education is actually for. Um, I feel most for uh, young people at the, at the older age groups where maybe some, some people have been shortchanged by the, the, the grades that have been put on them. Maybe they could have done better or maybe they do need to learn a little bit more. But I also think you know, when we're talking about A-level students going on to university, they've got the capacity to do their own research and to, to increase their own learning. And the universities also have the capacity to tweak what they what they teach, because universities decide what is in their their syllabuses and they can add extra classes on or whatever. Um, I wanted to go back to this thing about threatening, the, the threat um, of, of fining parents is a really interesting one um, because uh, some of you, just in case you don't know, one of the threats is Gavin Williamson has said that schooling will be compulsory from September and therefore parents who don't send their children in will be fined. Um, now, un unfortunately for him, um, we don't have the actual infrastructure to do that because um, since the government have came into power, they actually have closed 50% of our magistrates' courts. And it's the magistrates' courts that the, it goes to if you refuse to pay the fine. Uh, and currently, pre-COVID, it was taken a year to push through an enforcement through a magistrate court for a, a non-attendance fine. Um, so if non-attendance is widespread, it, it's going to take a long time to process through those and the other backlog of, of, of cases that the magistrate needs to see. Um, and then the parent gets the opportunity to plead their case to a magistrate um, and then the magistrate gets to make history by saying, I don't care if you just feel uh, that your child or your family is at risk, they belong to the state and they need to go to school. I don't see that happening. So um, I think as a parent, um, I think many, many of us are just saying, we'll just wait and see. There's a long time between now and September, anything could happen. 
I personally don't believe that schools will be fully open in September. Uh, I mean, one of the things, Sam, that I, I know, having lived through a number of these governments, is that it always used to be the case that Labour had loads of great, great ideas, but in that wouldn't, couldn't actually make them happen. They, 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 they didn't force them through so people actually did the thing. Now, whereas the Tories had some pretty dreadful ideas, but at least they made it happen and they pass a law and make it happen. In fact, this government has lousy ideas and doesn't actually seem to have a clue to make it happen either. Um, it's just incompetent across the board. Um, Paul, the last word, um, uh, was this an avoidable uh, disaster? Yes, um, from moment one this was avoidable. Uh, they could have done something that like say if they'd have behaved in the way that New Zealand did then yeah it's an avoidable disaster like the the things that they promised when schools were to reopen they said they would test track and trace would be up and running everything would be fine um we would follow the science that's gone out the window they wanted to like have schools return safely that word return safely has gone out the window they don't talk about going out going going back safely anymore and they don't talk about the science and, anymore I actually think the science was Dominic Cummins' nickname because he's running the show. So no, they were following the science and that was his nickname. But, um, but in, in all seriousness, they said they were following what the scientific advice was at every stage, but that now they've recently started to say, actually, sometimes political decisions um, are more important than the scientific advice. They're not listening to the scientific advice anymore. So um, if they ever were, and you know, they, they're making political decisions. And I think they're basing it on what they think the public mood is. Oh, you know, they're really angry at us because everyone's going to die. Let's lock down. But by the time we locked down, it was far too late to lock down. It wasn't a real lockdown. Um, if you talk about schools going back, children are children. They will not socially distance properly. And that is, that is in the guidance. So we know what's going to happen. Social science knows the answers to this question. If COVID is still massively in the population, I don't know how many deaths there were today, but like, you know, we've had 130 odd tragedies today, I believe. Um, so, you know, we're 155, so, so more than I thought. We have all these deaths happening every single day and, you know, nothing is changing. You know, there the are rates going up that's not being referenced anymore it used to be all about that this is just get yourselves back to work with you know whatever happens you're going back to work and that's what it is so it was entirely avoidable in the first place if we had a government that cared about its population and then by accident it would have also protected the economy a lot better you know so so i think that's what's happened in new zealand with jacinda ardent their economy will be much more robust than ours um, following this because they only locked down for a very short period of time and now everyone's like shiny happy people holding hands there they're all going up on holiday in their own country their only little infections they've had have been from British tourists funnily enough so um, and they've got a full test track and trace because if you've got a huge number of people you can't do test track and trace if you've got a small number of people it's relatively easy and that's just blatantly obvious so no it was totally avoidable um, I think that 
is the 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 that hits the nail on the head for me that we've moved from trying to do the right thing about the curtain and we're just doing what's politically necessary what's economically necessary and 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 keeping our fingers crossed I'm sure there must be a way to get this done properly. Um, so we come to our other stories. We've got two other stories today. Um, uh, Paul, whose yes minister was not yes enough? Um, this is about Mark Sedwell's forced resignation. Um, so the the I believe the head of the civil service. Also, was it the defence side of it? No, no. Um, he was the uh, cabinet secretary, wasn't he? Cabinet secretary Steve said, "Well, yeah, thank you very <laughs> much." So he was a very important civil servant. Let's say that. Yeah, and um, he's been replaced by someone who um, civil service is supposed to be uh, non-political. So to the, basically the civil service run the country and the politicians decide the direction of the country. So what they will do, and I suppose it balances everything out. So if you've got someone who comes in with some pretty radical ideas, they might say, well, actually, pra practically, that won't work in the short term. And maybe you'll see like a bit of an ease of transition over because these people are politically neutral. So if you had a Labour government, then they would be neutral to them and they would work for them as, be as best they could. And if they were a Conservative government, they do the same. Um, but Boris Johnson didn't like the person who was in charge, so it's now appointed uh, the person who is in charge of the Brexit negotiations, who is also now being appointed as a Lord in the House of Lords, and we don't know whether they're going to sit as a Conservative Lord or a crossbencher or speak or anything. Um, and it's interesting to see the politicisation of the civil service very much in the same way as we see Donald Trump doing this with his advisers. Um, Sam, um, uh, I mean, what do you think the Tories want from the civil service? This is all part of Cummings' civil service reforms. He says it's all about efficiency and, uh, and getting a civil service that, that works. So they blame the civil service for the, the during the, the pandemic. I mean, is, is, is that how you see um, Yeah, it, it's, it is worrying. Uh, what what is really telling about this is that Boris Johnson was actually pulled up on it by Theresa May in the House of Commons, uh, and you can see like what the Conservatives are very good at being a united front and not undermining each other in public. So when somebody as high profile as Theresa May comes out and says in in the House of Commons, "Oh, this is a bit, you know, what are you doing? Can you give me an explanation?" That that speaks to some real um, un unhappiness within the Conservatives, um, which is concerning because obviously you don't want them, they, 
one of the problems in the last few years is that the Brexit split within the Conservatives, from our point of view, it looks like the Conservatives are looking too much into, at their internal party politics rather than the rest of us and running the country. <laughs> that's, that's definitely how some of us interpreted it and we would rather that didn't happen. For all, obviously I'm not a fan of the Conservatives, I would like them to function uh, properly running the country. Um, and it is very concerning the, the, the Cummings effect in the civil service. Um, I know many civil servants. I will not say any more than that because I don't want to get them into trouble because they take their non-political um, non -political position very seriously. And it, it's important. It's, it's a kind of like a national security thing that we have. Uh, an apolitical civil service that are there to offer their actual skills. You know, this is why when people say, why don't we have an education minister who is an ex-teacher? Because the expertise is meant to be in the civil service and they, they help, as Paul say, you know, minister comes along and says, I want to give everybody a puppy. That's a political uh, idea. And then the minister comes up and go, uh, a civil servant comes along and says, okay, these are the reasons we can't give everybody a puppy. <laughs> Let's talk about what we can do. Um, so it is very concerning. Um, and it was concerning when Dominic, Dominic Cummings did that thing where he advertised civil service jobs on his blog, yes. totally circumventing Lose all. And yeah, I mean there are huge, you know, there's pay scales and there's weirdos and freaks. Yeah, um, totally. I am a fan of out of the box thinking, but uh, we can't just have a, a random advisor employing staff for the government off his own back based on the fact that they're a weirdo and a freak they you know these people are experts it's a highly skilled job that you need to have <laughs> qualifications you can't just be uh dominic cummings pet project and that is worrying uh, that these people have that power but here we are talking about it and that's all we can do Stuart, um, sort of, I mean, what I see is we're having a boundary review, we're going to politicise the civil service with yes men, and we have the coronavirus law which gives the government more powers than ever before for the next, certainly, a, sort of, mm. um, 20 months more. I mean, are you worried about, about this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Dominic Cummins is clearly kind of building a bit of a Praetorian guard with the, the changes at the civil service. Uh, democracy has been eroded quite quickly. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like it's, it's very fair at the moment. And when things don't feel fair, they kind of explode quite quickly. I mean, I, I, one of the things I notice is that uh, ministers are just not resigning anymore. We want, uh, we have a government that wants to just be unaccountable. Um, again, last word, Paul. You've got. Um, uh, we're supposed to be moving on now. You've got sixty seconds. Um, I think the fact that we're talking about Dominic Cummings a lot is very, very worrying. Um, Mark, Mark Francois and the Defence Select Committee warned somebody. Um, warned the head of the, what, what was he? He was a general. A general, he warned a general, you know, play play our game, or Dominic Cummins will be around to see you and you won't yeah. like what he'll do. 
and you just think, and I love saying Marc Francois, right, because uh, he's, he's so little, little England, isn't he? And I, I don't say that lightly because I absolutely love people who love the country. Um, you know, so <laughs> um, he's just such the, the worst type of person that you can possibly have called Marc Francois. Um, so, yeah, it's a big, big worry to hear him um, speaking about Dominic Cummins as if he's some sort of enforcer, some sort of person in charge. Watch out, because our special advisor, why we're talking about special advisors, they're supposed to advise, politicians decide, and then the civil service put that into action. And that is not what's happening. What reminds me of is um, Sam Hughes' uh, history here. Reminds me of um, King James the First and the Duke of Buckingham, and 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 and, and sort of and, and the early Stuarts, and sort of that um, they they were supposed to be doing the ruling, but in fact they have these big sort of heavyweight uh, sort of um, uh, people behind them, Wentworth and Charles the First, who who just basically. Um, were the enforcers, the, the, the tough men. A bit mafia-esque, mafia-esque, the whole thing. Quite, quite alarming. Anyway, we'll, we, we promise uh, you, um, uh, listener, that we will keep an eye on this because um, uh, sort of, uh, we're all fairly worried about what um, Dominic Cummings is up to um, behind the scenes in the machinery of, um, of, of government down in London. Last of all, um, Stuart, um, where are we failing to prevent freedom disappearing? Uh, Hong Kong. Yeah, uh, China has been uh, reneging on the agreements that kind of protect uh, Hong Kong's, uh, I won't say independence, but it's uh, its own authority in its own little special area. And uh, They've essentially now got license to go in with uh, anti-terrorism laws and protections in that way to take out pro-democracy campaigners. You see, I mean, what China would argue is that, um, I mean, we've now had months and months of uh, demonstrations almost daily on the streets. We've seen uh, ongoing attacks on the police. It was, it was all to do with um, a security law where they said that they were going to, that they wanted to be able to, to take um, uh, people convicted of um, criminal crimes um, across the, the border into China. This was perceived as an attack on um, Hong Kong's freedoms. I mean, what China would argue is that we've now had months of this disorder and disruption we, we need to be able to deal with this. Is it, do you think that this, the, 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 the international revulsion is, is not, I mean, we wouldn't put up with this. I mean, we sort of very quickly, you stamp down on, on, on this kind of thing. Was it unreasonable to ex expect China to just put up with this month after month? Well, China could have played its part over the last few months and actually listened to some people. Uh, in the pro-democracy campaign, uh, you know, obviously they have broken uh, an international, you know, agreement. You know that that's why people come down hard. It's an international law that's been broken. You know, these people's freedoms have been protected 
for 50 years. I think we're like only what 10 or so into it, 15. You know, I can see why people would step up to the mark to, to condemn China right now. Well, I mean, are we letting, I mean, are we letting the people of Hong Kong down? I mean, are we doing enough? What are we doing to try and, and deal with this? It's our former colony. Do we not have some kind of responsibility to try and stop this? Well, there's a, there's a lot to talk about colonialism, isn't there? Like, it's a, it's a whole different thing of being a, a colony. But we have um, said that people can have the right to come and work here um, if, they're from, if they're from Hong Kong. Um, and, and China haven't taken very kindly to that. Um, so it's something that the British government are offering the people of Hong Kong. But I just find it um, quite strange, really, because, you know, in the Labour Party, we are democratic socialists, and we believe in socialism through democracy and giving people a choice. And I think a lot of people mistake us for communists as in communist china and really what china are doing is state capitalism it is like run by the state but it is entirely capitalist they have billionaires you know it is not a communist state but we get tarred with the same brush and the same crimes as china that is not how we would want to run things china are restricting freedoms they've got people working in sweatshops at one end and they've got um at the other end They've got people who are absolutely ridiculously wealthy. It is not a fair society. In, in fact, it's a, a ridiculously grossly unfair society as, as, as actually a lot of people think Great Britain is. Um, so really, I, th I find it quite strange that people level that at us. I do think we should be trying to offer people some help there. Um, certainly with regards to their democracy, but I, I certainly believe that the British government's kind of priority will be to maintain those those relationships with China that are of mutual benefit, such as like China were put in charge of building a nuclear power station in this country not so long ago, um, and they get given a lot of our infrastructure pro projects, such as uh, Huawei um, providing the 5G network, there is a lot of political problems that we haven't been dealing with for a long time. It's interesting to see that kind of Rob has sort of changed his tune a little bit on Saudi Arabia as well, um, which is, is, is a funny yeah, thing. It happens to them again today. I mean, that's well, the yeah, they're, they're saying things, but they're not doing them. So they're, allow, they're allowing like, Saudi Arabia to bomb the Yemenis, um, which is absolutely appalling it's, it's a war crime and they're doing it with our weapons but yet they're saying well you know oh actually we might we might start coming down on the people who were responsible for the murder of the of, of, of a journalist um it's it's very platitudinal let's move back to move back to hong kong i mean um sam what what do you think we should be doing well, it, that, that's it, isn't it? What should we be doing? Um, and if it was any other country, uh, well, not any other country, but if it was a less powerful country, we might be talking about bringing in sanctions or how we trade. With this, uh, like we were, yeah, about Israel. Um, but the, re the, the reason we are not is because, you know, we, we survive on 
products that are made in China. And as Paul says, you know, we need we need Chinese technology firms as things that are set up. And currently, especially when we are in this Brexit no man's land, we are in a very weak position to start dictating who we are and will not trade with, especially when we're talking about a big country called China. Uh, Tim on the comments says, Liz Truss is pushing trade with China and the USA to replace what we've got with the EU. And we hear those, we hear those narratives all the time. So we've, we've put ourselves in this position where we, we, it, we've took back control by absolutely cutting off our hands. Uh, we've got them tied behind our back to mix some metaphors because everything we would do to try and to try and exert our might, we, we can't because we can't cut off those trade partners. I mean, Stuart, what strikes me about this is um, that we can't even get, it looks as though we're going to fail to get something through the United Nations because so many nations are actually coming down in favour of, uh, including most of Africa, in favour of China. And uh, there's very few countries actually standing up for Hong Kong. I mean, is this, did we just abandon Hong Kong and shrug our shoulders and say, uh, too, too tough, it's stupid to be falling out with China at this juncture? Oh, I mean, giving up on Hong Kong is giving up on democracy, and clearly that's not a good idea, is it? We're fans uh, of democracy now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We're pretty poor democracy here. And I can, I can understand why lots of countries are siding with China, and it's purely the economics of it. Paul? Um, so, was the question, um, should we be doing more, or is it, is it what we're doing? I know that the I know that Lisa Nandy is talking about. She's she's kind of Lisa Nandy is the foreign secretary of the sorry the shadow foreign secretary from the Labour Party is saying that we should be making sure that whatever we offer to the people of Hong Kong shouldn't simply be um, an offer to the richest people in Hong Kong. It should be an offer to everyone in Hong Kong. Uh, it was interesting last year in the pro-democracy rallies that we had when Boris Johnson decided to prorogue Parliament. Um, I met someone who'd just been at the at the protests in Hong Kong, and they are very, very, very dedicated to making sure that they have a democracy. It was very interesting that they saw the parallels because I was well, you've just been in Hong Kong, and you've got this state power that is giving you no choice. You don't have a vote. You know, the Communist Party in China just choose choose what's going to happen and they choose their next leader internally. Um, and she saw the parallels between what's happening there and what is happening here. And that kind of, even, even though I don't have particular faith in the Conservative government, that shook me quite a lot. So we should be standing up for the people in Hong Kong. We should be doing whatever we can I don't think that Great Britain will, but I believe that we should. I think, I mean, it's at times like this. I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you said, but I, 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 I was struck by the, the difference between the situations, that where, there we were um, protesting against um, the proroguing of Parliament for a, a, a few days, um, we were allowed to do so 
even though it was, as you, you saw, it was, we were told by the police that it essentially was an illegal demonstration, what we organized. Um, nevertheless, they let it go ahead because we weren't causing any trouble. Um, we had a little chat with the police, we made our speeches. Um, in the, those days, an opposition turned up and sort of actually listened quite respectfully while we put our case. And, and, and I just thought, well, this is just easy peasy. And the, what, what breaks my heart really is those young people, and they're so young, Paul, and, and, and they're so brave, and they're, they're taking on here a state that will not hesitate. They'll disappear forever and mm. uh, be treated appallingly. And they are so brave and they come out night after night to take on um, a police who are um, uh, violent with them. Um, sort of, we've seen that the guns are coming out and, and you just think, well, what can I do to help? And the answer is I can't do anything at all. And, 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 and sort of, and really truth of our government really is going to struggle to do anything at all apart from call it out for the outrage that it is. Um, I think I think that when when I said that um, that there were that, that person could see the similarities, I'm not saying anywhere near the, the severity, but you know, seeing the sort of same ideas and if we don't fight for what we have, it will go there. That's where it's gonna go and it's the importance of protest. And uh, and keeping that up, we're also. I, mean, I think. Well, just you, uh, sort of, we were talking about this one. We were talking about Cummings as well. We're giving our state the powers uh, to do this if we want. Um, so we're coming to the end of the show. Um, uh, sort of um, Sam, last word, a very very short word on on Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's horrendous. I think we need to uh, remember that. This does all come from us. You know, we are responsible because of, because of it being a British colony and because of meddling in other countries, you know, we do have to take a responsibility, but also it, re it reminds us about the racism uh, rhetoric that there's been talking, uh, it's been going around recently, you know, our activities in the world have had long-term consequences for most people in the world. And we really need to, know that it should be in our education system so we can own it properly. We need statues as well to remind us. <laughs> yes. uh, finally, uh, and last word of anybody, um, apart from me saying goodbye to Stuart, um, a last word of wisdom, Stuart? Uh, hang on to democracy. <laughs> and on that note, you heard it first on Political Unmuted. We need to hang on to the markets. We're bloody well. <laughs> um, so to, thank you for your um, contribution, everybody. Um, Sam, you've been fantastic. Good luck with the team. <laughs> we'll, we'll, next week, we'll find out what went on with it. Yeah. good. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for helping me with the litter picking. And um, uh, Paul, uh, as always, such knowledge and such uh, measured comments. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, goodbye, let's say goodbye. And goodbye, listening. Thank you very much indeed.